name's Audrey, she's a recovered alcoholic. Hello, welcome. Where are the family members? They're like, Welcome. We are so glad to have you here. Um, let me let me just say that uh, we wouldn't be here without the family members. We just wouldn't. There's a lot of us that would be uh, gone today. So thank you so much for what you all have done and for showing up and being a part of um, the residence recovery. That's such a cool, cool deal. I mean, I've sat in that chair too. So. I'll tell y'all about that too. If Alanon had a draft, they'd be after me. They're just, I mean, there are so many of them. But anyway, um, like I said, I'm a recovered alcoholic. Um, I am honored to be here tonight and to tell my story. I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, what I was like, what happened, and what I'm like now in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and Cocaine Anonymous and Drug Addicts Anonymous that I just absolutely adore. Um, and I wouldn't have told you that eight years ago. I didn't come through these doors. Please to be here. You know, um, Marcia and I are very, very different people, and it's an interesting dynamic that we've created. Marcia came through the door and, like, busted it in, right? <laughs> Turning car wheels, being real crazy and loud, and, um, and you knew she was here. Uh, that's not how I came on the scene. I'm, I'm very shy, very quiet, um, and very deceitful, and I will slide in the back door, stand in the corner, assess the situation, and then play my cards. Um, and so you don't usually see me coming. And so it, it was an interesting way that I got to Alcoholics Anonymous. I, um, I, I came, like I said, from a family full of drunks. The only one that was noticeable when I was young was my father, uh, just a real, real bad alcoholic. And um, I adore my parents. They um, are phenomenal people. They just are. Um, and I, I certainly am not an alcoholic because my parents were divorced or I came from a hard childhood or um, had some, some issues growing up. Those things were certainly true. But that's not the reason that, that I drink. Um, I drink because I'm bodily, mentally different than my fellow man. I just am. Um, I'm also driven by an internal condition that untreated, I will pick up a drink over and over and over. And you residents know exactly what I'm talking about because you hear it all the time. It's taught in Big Book. If you're a family member and you don't have a Big Book, let me encourage you to buy one. Read it. See what this thing is about. It, it's vital information on why we do what we do. We are a different breed of people. Are we not? Some of you family members are sitting back scratching your head and going, seriously? <laughs> I get that. I get that. Um, and, and I did that for a long time until my alcoholism took me to a place where I was the one doing those things and, and living that way. So I grew up in a, a small town out in East Texas. Um, do you guys know where Sulphur Springs, Texas is? You may want to admit it. This one over here. <laughs> Little bitty town. They got the Walmart. It was like big doing. Um, grew up on a dairy. I mean, it just it was a hot mess. Um, but, but it was a lot of fun. I grew up in a house full of love, um, but alcoholism was ever present. Um, and when I was six years old, uh, my mother made the decision to leave my father. And, and what's so sad about that is that she will tell you till this, to this day that he's her soulmate. You know, that she absolutely loved and adored him, still, you know, would consider him the best friend. But that's what alcoholism does. It, it, it devastates everything around us. It just does. Um, and so we left as a result of his drinking. And my mother's thought process was, is if I can get my child out of the situation, um, hopefully she won't be one of them. You know, and so she, she attempted to coddle me and mold me and... and grew me into being this this person and, and to keep me from the alcoholism um, and, and you know how that goes <laughs> and um, lo and behold it just happened anyway 
and, and so she remarried, my father remarried, I grew up with uh, step-siblings, half-siblings, and I grew up with a lot of family members, and I was kind of back and forth between mom and dad, and, and the fact was, I have a, a family that loves and adores me, and, and fought over who got to spend more time with me. The feeling was, I was the child from the first marriage who got lost in the shuffle. And that's how my alcoholism deluded me from day one. Anybody else in here a victim? Martyr? <laughs> right? Woo! I wrote a book on that. I mean, to tell you, it was like, well, you understand, my parents are divorced, and I gave them a hard life, and it's just like, really? I remember my mom telling me one time, Audrey, you're not the one who got divorced. You're not the one who lost your soulmate. And I'm like, right, right, that's, that's true. <laughs> it felt devastating, you know, but it's like, I can't see what's in front of me because I'm so delusional and self-centered. I make everything about me. Anybody else? Right? Just, if, even if it's just close to me, I'm going to make it about me. Um, and, and so I grew up that way that I was depressed. I had severe anxiety disorder. I had issues around food. I mean, I just, like, all turned in on myself all the time um, in, in a huge way. Um, I've always felt uh, a little bit separate then. You guys know what I mean by that? Like you walk in the room and everybody shouts your name. I mean, they all know you. It's like cheers, right? Norm. I mean, they all know you. They're trying to connect with you, trying to interact, and I'm still alone. What is that about? It's about an internal condition that separates me from everyone else. Um, and I was always like that, always, always. I remember being the kid at the, the slumber parties that would go and hide in the closet, and it'd be pissed when nobody came to find me. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's even noticed. <laughs> you know, it's just like, they're playing games. Get out the closet. Drama. <laughs> you know, and this is how I live my life. And so it wasn't until I discovered... Um, alcohol and drugs when I was about 15 years old and I'm in a back alley. We had moved to Denton, which is about a two-hour-ish drive from Sulphur Springs. So my dad stays in, in Sulphur Springs with his wife and his other daughter and stepbrother and family and my mom and stepdad and I and other, you know, we all go over to Denton and I'm doing this back and forth game and, and I'm trying to fit in in the schools and I can't seem to make that work. Um, my mom sent me to a private Christian school because I um, was having issues with the girls at school, um, running that mouth, and, uh, and so she sends me to a private Christian school, and she's all the time trying to mold me and set me up for success and put me on the right path and, and give me opportunities, and I bust through every one of them. I'm damned if you tell me who I'm going to be. You know, it's just, mm, I can't seem to accept the, what's been given to me. Um, and just that arrogant, that arrogant. Anybody else that's looking at me is going, baby, you've got it laid out. But I'm so arrogant, I won't touch it. So I'm in this school district. I'm not happy because you're not going well. Um, and it's not that I'm not capable. I excel in sports. I excel in school. People want to be my friend. Um, but I'm constantly giving everybody the pushback. I'm in a back alley um, with a little boy from down the street. And the first time alcohol hit the back of my throat, and I could breathe. I could breathe. And I'm with my stepsister. Uh, like I said, I think we're 14, 15, something like that. I held off for a very long time compared to some of you people. Y'all had your first drink at two. I'm like, whew. Um, <laughs> no, my mama was clocking me. Don't want you to end up like your daddy. Um, and so we're out there, and, and all of a sudden I'm able to connect to this guy, and I'm able to connect with my stepsister in a manner which I had never experienced. Never. And I remember stumbling back over to the house and um, with my stepsister and saying, is this what being loaded feels like? 
She's like, yeah, this is it. I'm going to tell you something. I, my intention was not to go way past the mark. It wasn't, it, it wasn't, I was trying to escape stuff. It was, I was trying to get right. Do you guys know what I mean by that? I'm trying to settle in my own skin. Um, and a couple of drinks will do that for me. But I continue to, to drink more and more. I'm not really sure what that's about at that point in time, but, but it's what happens. Um, and so I continue to get loaded as often as I can without anyone finding out, which is how I like to roll. I don't know about y'all, but I like to drink without consequence. Anybody else? <laughs> Didn't pan out that way. But um, that's that's what my that's what I'm attempting to do. And so I do this off and on through high school. And mind you, I'm showing up for Bible study. I'm showing up for chapel. I can quote the scripture. Um, I put on the game face, and I can be pleasant and do what I need to do. And I'm dying inside, absolutely dying inside. <laughs> At this point in time, bless you, baby. Uh, my father got sober. Very <laughs> easily distracted. Um, my father got sober uh, when I was, I guess, like middle school or something like that, fifth, sixth grade. Um, and by sober, I mean he went to Charter Hospital. Remember when those were on the scene? Right? So he went to Charter Hospital. He dried out, took some vitamins. We went over family day, threw football around. It was good times. So he gets sober. Right? And he goes to AA, goes to a bunch of meetings, doesn't get a sponsor, doesn't work any steps. And so he's like stark raving sober. He's <laughs> like, okay, Mr. Chapman needs a drink. But um, anyway, so he's doing that whole game. And, um, and then at some point he relapses. I don't realize it's a relapse because in my mind, as a, as a young person, if somebody had a problem with alcohol, Home, they're no longer drinking, they're no longer an alcoholic. I didn't understand the concept that once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic, the disease will continue to progress whether or not I pick up a drink. It was a new concept for somebody like me. I used to say my father used to be an alcoholic. Um, he picked up a drink and he hooked a hard left after seven years without a drink. Um, so we began to drink together, um, which caused big problems um, in that side of the family. And, um, and so what happens is, is that he, uh, he gets really bad really quick. I'm in my late teens, early twenties, and, um, things have started to get weird for me. I graduated from high school and decided that I needed to go away. You know, that whole game. Like, it's, I just need to get away from you people. Y'all are just stressing me. And I just need a new environment and a fresh start and a change of pace and that's going to do it. And, the problem with that is, is wherever I show up, I show up full force on the scene with an internal condition. <laughs> and I can change all my people, places, and things, but I'm still me. And I'm still irritable. Everybody and everything irritates me to death. The, the way you breathe is obnoxious to me. <laughs> you need to chew so loudly. It's like, <laughs> right? It's like I'm constantly like on the verge of that one real quick, sharp, you know, thing that you shouldn't say. Um, I'm always fighting that kind of deal. I'm restless. I can't sleep. And when I do sleep, it's not good sleep. I can't ever shut the mind down. And the only thing that seems to kill that is alcohol. Um, and I'm discontent. I'm consistently saying things like, I'll be happy when, dot, dot, dot. I'll be okay if X, Y, and Z could just all fall into place and stay. Um, and what's weird about that is that even when all of that lines up and the stars are just right and my ducks are in a row and it's all magical, I'm unhappy and I get loaded. And it just consistently seems to be a problem for me. And so I go off to school thinking this is the fresh start. We go to a Baptist university. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we go 
to a Baptist university with the good kids because I know intuitively there is something to spirituality. I know innately that I'm drawn to that, but there's a block and a hindrance and I can't figure out what it is. I'm a woman that could sit in the church in awe of the stained glass windows, quote the scripture and know for sure I will be loaded by sundown. Without a doubt. And so I can't quite figure out what it is that these kids are happy. They absolutely love God. They absolutely are excited about education. They're excited about dating. They're excited. And I'm like, I hate every last one of y'all. <laughs> you know, I just, God almighty. I'm having to sneak off campus just to smoke a Marlboro. You know what I mean? I'm like, no, oh, this has got to go. And so, you know, one more time I call my mother. Hey, you know, this isn't really working for me. I've done a year here. I put in my time. And uh, in, in a private education, one more time I demand the best. You know, and, and haven't earned any of it. Let's be clear about that. Haven't earned any of it, but I feel it's my God-given birthright. Oh, you have money? Then it's my money. Wow, really? Yeah, that's how, that's what I thought. How absolutely arrogant of me. So my grandfather moves me back, moves me into an apartment back in Denton, which is a good place to try to get your stuff together. <laughs> Denton, Fry Street. Anyway, some of you know. Um, so, so I'm back in Denton, and I'm, you know, I just need to go to, to community college. That's the way to go. I need to change all my friends. I need to change, la 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 la. And I go work at a daycare. <laughs> right? I'm like sweating out bourbon, chasing little kids. <laughs> I do, and, and I didn't really know that, um, and I fell in love with this little boy named Hayden, he was, I guess, one year old, year and a half, something like that at the time, and I fell in love with him, it was the first time that I felt maternal about a child who was not one of my siblings, and it was like, oh my God, I could get excited about being a mom someday, I could get excited about marriage, I could get excited about normal people's stuff, um, and and. And I just love this little boy. And so I'm working at this daycare, and I'm going to school, kind of. And um, and I'm babysitting him. I'm like a nanny at this point. Like, at nights and weekends, I nanny for this little boy. And um, progressively, things begin to get worse. Um, I can't quit drinking. And when we go out with people, um, they're having the fun cocktails. You know what I mean? They're the, the pretty ones. And they're all full of sugar. I'm like, there's not even a lot of alcohol in that, but whatever. <laughs> Um, but I'm like, I need to figure out a system. And I'm, I'm very systematic about the way I drink. You know, I'll get with that. I got my drinks beforehand, the drinks that are allotted in public, and then the drinks afterwards, and then I'm going to have to smoke some weed before I go to bed. I'm going to have to take some sleeping pills. I'm going to have to, I mean, it's just got to all be situated just so. And if any little component is out of whack, I'm going to lose it. <laughs> right? And so I never ran out. Never. I don't have any experience with that. People are like, I just ran out of alcohol. I'm like, really? You didn't think that through? I mean, I was stockpiled like there might be a flood. I lived alone. I moved out of this apartment, and my grandfather built a house, and um, and I had a couple little roommates. I ran them off eventually. And I I lived alone, and I hid alcohol, right? I'm like constantly stockpiling this stuff. I don't want to ever let anybody borrow my pipes. Nope, these are my cousins. You know, that one cousin that you borrow and stuff from can't ever loan anything out. 
Um, no, we can't use that stuff. No, you can't have any of this. And then people, oh, let's share. Let's share a bottle. I'm like, no, no, baby. I'll buy you one, but we're not sharing. <laughs> <laughs> I like to drink with girls. They would like, share everything. We go to the bathroom together at the same time. I'm like, no, when you go to the bathroom, I'm going to get another shot. So anyway, um, so I'm living in this house, and, and I eventually stopped going to school um, because it just becomes difficult. You know, I just can't, I can't show up for things on time. And when I do, I am a wreck. Um, I'm having to tell a professor that I have mono, you know, because I shuffle in and I look rough. Some of y'all do the alcohol and dub thing and you don't look that bad. Now, I do. It's very obvious when I go off the chain. And I used to show up at my parents' house and, like, let their garage door up in the middle of the night and steal alcohol from them and then leave. And then I go over during the middle of the day and take food from them. And my mom is very... Um, she has always been very social. She was in a sorority. She's still in a sorority. She's like in her late fifties. Um, they still meet. It's like legit. Um, <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, so I would show up, and she'd be having like tea parties, and I mean, oh my god, I would shuffle in like <laughs> freaking. <laughs> my hair looks crazy. I've worn makeup in forever, and, and just shuffle in and kind of look at them, and go to the kitchen and take food, and it's like you could see the embarrassment. Or she's like, this is my oldest daughter. <laughs> she's a disaster. <laughs> you know, she didn't say that, but she wanted to. Um, it's just very embarrassing. And, and I began to compromise who I was as a human being. I began to do things that are unacceptable to me. And um, and it's weird how you can have like that. those, like, the big book calls them moral and philosophical convictions galore. And it's like a standard, a set of right and wrong, what's okay and what's not okay. And I begin to compromise those in full force. Um, I stop paying bills. I stop turning on lights. I start taking things that don't belong to me, um, including, you know, your man. You know, it's like I suddenly have no values whatsoever. And let me, let me tell you, that's not who I am. It's really not, um, and it's not how I was raised, and it's not who I wanted to be, and it was the kind of person that I judged and that I talked about, and all of a sudden I'm looking in the mirror, and that's who I've become. Um, I'm fully supported by finances that don't belong to me, um, and I've been very, very incredibly selfish and dishonest about that. Um, and so I, I eventually, like I said, I lived with these guys. I don't know why I thought that was going to be a good idea, but um, a couple of guys that I'd gone to high school with, I thought it would be fun to live in a house with them um, instead of living with girls. And what started off being cute about how much I could drink started getting embarrassing. And towards the end of it, they had just had enough. Um, and I lived on a urine-stained mattress constantly. I mean, it just got very sick and very weird. Um, it always gets really quiet. <laughs> All the normal people in the room are like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's in urine. Yeah, it's yeah.
just trying to reel it in a little bit. Um, and it's impossible to do that. And when I do pull it off, it's like nails on a chalkboard. I'm unhappy without alcohol or drugs in my life. I just am. Um, and so it's at this point in time that I begin to get in trouble because I don't know what it is about me when I get loaded. I get somewhere to be. <laughs> I need to be in the car. Um, and I, it was just pitiful. I had nowhere to be and nobody wanted to see me and people had stopped answering my phone calls long ago. Um, they'd done an intervention on me. Anybody else in here had an intervention going on you? That's a good time. <laughs> yeah. They um, thankfully picked a spokesperson who lived in Chicago. And so they did it via <laughs> telephone. It was stupid. Um, so they called me, and I'm like in the back of a pickup truck with a couple of guys, and we're um, drunk and high, and um, they're saying, okay, well, here's the situation. We're doing an intervention. I'm like, nothing will show you up like the word intervention. Um, and I'm like, listen, let me stop you before you even get there. I have had a problem, and I want to go ahead and admit that, but I've reined it in, and I understand, and I'm just like, out of my mind, right? And I convince them everything's going to be okay. I mean, just the level of dishonesty, and I'm like kind of listening to the conversation and watching these two guys like interact with each other in this real bizarre manner. Um, like we do. We're in a graveyard. Like, that's my life. <laughs> And you were free, and you were lighthearted, 
and you laugh things off, and it was just the weirdest thing I'd ever seen, but I knew that that would never be the case for me. So I go home to do this intervention on my father, <laughs> with the pastor, um, and the pastor <laughs> wants to blame my father for my drinking, and I'm like, I'm on board with that. You know? <laughs> if we can pin anything on anybody else, I will sign up for that. And mind you, my father is my closest friend. Love and adore that man. Absolutely do. Um, but if you come close to my drinking, I'll roll over on you like that. I mean, in, in any other circumstance in life, I'll take the blame. I mean, like I said, I'm a martyr. I'm like, oh, that was me. Let's just find a solution and move on. I will absolutely take the blame. You look at my drinking and want to come at me, I'll roll over on you. And so we go home to do this intervention, and um, I'm watching him. He's standing in the, he's loaded, but he's not drunk, and we can't figure out what he's on or what he's doing, and he's too messed up to do the intervention. And he's standing in the back bedroom. The master bedroom is on the end of the house, and I walk back there and kind of sneak up on him, and I'm watching him, and it's like the weirdest thing I've ever seen. And he's standing in the mirror, and he's talking to himself, and he's doing that thing where he sways, and he talks to himself, and he's trying to psych himself You know what I'm saying? Like, make yourself feel better. And I'm thinking, he's 50 at the time, 49, 50, um, and I'm 22. And I'm thinking, hmm, I could make it. Like, not uh, the drinking's going to kill me. It's about to. I'm physically almost as bad as him. But I'm thinking, what if I made it to 50? Continuing to live the way that I live. I'd rather die. I'd rather die. And that was the fear that kind of sank in, like, oh, my God, this could never end. Ever. It could go on forever. And I've already reconciled with the fact that my life was going to be like this sickness that I'd already lived in. But I didn't expect to live forever. I'd already picked out funeral songs. <laughs> right? I mean, I was expecting to die at some point in the very near future, in my early 20s, and it frightened me to think that, oh, my God, I could live to be 50 this way. Um, and I remember I left his house, and I got out on the backcountry roads, and, um, and I called my mother, who I feared. I feared. She's got a master's degree. She was in the Miss Texas pageant. She can do anything she sets her mind to. Bright, beautiful, determined woman. I could never measure up to her, ever. And I remember I called her, and I just, she said, how did the intervention go? How's your dad? Is everything okay? And I said, Mom, I'm an alcoholic, and I need some help. And as soon as those words flew out, I went, oh, dear God. (laughs) (laughs) You know, because I had gone to her for help before. Mom, I'm drinking. Things are out of control. There's bad situations going on. I don't know what to do. And her, her answer for that was, Audrey, you need to knock it off. Which sounds like a viable solution, doesn't it? Grow up. Make better decisions. Get responsible. Make a better choice. And so I'm armed with that decision, and I can't pull it off, and I fail over and over and over, wondering, why? So I say these words to her, and she said, we're going to have, we need to do something. And I'm like, absolutely. I've got to go somewhere. Like, I need some help. I'm not attending school. I'm not working. I don't know about y'all, but when I can't work, what I do is I go work for my family. (laughs) Because you don't have to show up, but you can still draw a paycheck. (laughs) So I I stopped showing up at their agency a long time ago, but I was continuing to draw income very dishonestly from them. Um, 
always promising, oh, I've got a stomach ache, oh, I've got this, oh, I've got that. I can't even tell you, like, the round of <laughs> doctor's visits where they do the endoscope and go down, and we're trying to figure out what's wrong with their stomach as I'm vomiting vodka on them, you know? Oh! <laughs> right? So she's like, Audrey, I need you to stay sober and come home, and we're going to figure this out. And I'm like, we're going to have to do something. I don't know what that looks like, but we'll have to do something. So... Um, I go home immediately, get loaded. The very thought of never taking a drink again is horrifying to me. It horrifies me almost as much as the thought of continuing to drink the way that I drank. Um, and so I go back and, um, and get loaded the way I get loaded, and, and we decide that I need to go somewhere and be confined for a period of time because I am not somebody, and this happens. I sponsor women like this. I have friends like this that can come in off the street inside the rooms and get sober and stay sober, and that's a beautiful thing. I'm not knocking that. I am a woman who can't stay away from it for a day. I mean a day, and so I'm, like, willing to go away somewhere. I'm like, please take me somewhere. I can't do this. Um, and so my mom's flipping through the back of a phone book, in, a Denton phone book, and we find this facility down in South Texas. And um, so we, I think it's like on a Monday, we decide to do this. And on Thursday is the day of check-in. Got that small little window <laughs> of about to go to treatment time. Um, <laughs> and I didn't know you could show up at treatment loaded. <laughs> I was so angry when I got there. <laughs> on the way down, and my mom is like so positive <laughs> and cheerful, I'm like, oh my goodness, it's going to be fabulous, and you're going to find out what you're doing, be like, summer camp, and I'm like, I hate summer camp, I hate people, like, please don't try to be positive about this, and I'm real clear I drink because of you, so we don't need to do any Thank <laughs> you. 
meeting. It was very bizarre. There was no, I don't know, there was a solution in the room. I didn't hear it, but again, I wasn't searching for it um, at that time. So when I got there, I wasn't there for AA. I wasn't there for 12 steps. I was there to get some separation from my problem, get on a treadmill, Right. Start taking some vitamins, get some sleep, you know, do these kinds of things. And they started talking about the big book and the solution. And I'm like, hold up. What? Are you saying that I'm not a bad person? Are you, are you saying that I don't do this because I don't care about myself or the people around me? And they started talking about um, the allergy in my body. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm not allergic to alcohol. I can put it away, right? This is not a problem for me. But then they go on to explain this phenomenon of craving, and I'm like, that's why I do what I do. That's why when you guys leave, I continue to drink. That's why when I'm on the floor and I can't walk or speak, I'm searching for another drink. I remember being arrested one time, and they said, you shouldn't be able to stand your blood alcohol level, yet much less drive. And I'm like, buddy, i got a case waiting for me at the house. I'm not even done. <laughs> because my body demands that I have more and more, and it suddenly things begin to click into, into place. And this inability to make a decision and stick with it around staying away from alcohol for good for all. And I'm like, oh, my God. And that's why Dad does what he does. And it just clicks. I'm sick, you know. And, um, and it was probably some of the best information I had ever gotten, ever gotten, because it meant that if there was a problem and I wasn't just a piece of you-know-what, there might be a way out for me. I, I didn't believe that there would be, but I was willing to do some some searching for it. Um, they gave me the number of a woman in Dallas uh, named Julie, and um, she was here last, was last month. She was here. She's crazy. And, uh, <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> they said, you need to call this lady when you get back to Dallas and, and let her sponsor you, let her take you through the work. And I got excited about sobriety. I'm listening to speaker tapes. I mean, I'm burning them up. I got a big book I'm highlighting. I mean, it's just like, oh, my God, a whole new world came into view. Um, and I get home because it's like a bubble here, right? I get home and life looms large. I have created a storm, and it's waiting on me. Um, and I get home, and I'm a broken, fragile child at 22 years old, body that is just worn out. And um, and I show up at this group called Primary Purpose in Dallas, and there's a hundred people there. I don't do people, <laughs> right? And I'm like, oh god. And when I first got sober, I always wore a baseball hat, and I would pull it down over my eyes so I didn't have to look at you. I wouldn't make eye contact. I didn't speak. I was very bizarre. I remember when I went back to the Spiritual Center for an annual reunion, they didn't know who I was because I would slide in the back door and sit down and I would never say anything. Julie was voted worst patient ever. No, I'm just kidding. But she was like least likely to succeed or something like that. <laughs> they were chasing her down on a golf cart, just like you women that run down this hill. We chase some of y'all too. I remember. <laughs> Tracy's good. Tracy always catches them. You always do. <laughs> Um, 
I was still scared of what you thought. I still had no ambition. I was still frightened to speak to people. I didn't want to go anywhere. I didn't want to do anything. And, and it just all of a sudden clicks. Like, I'm getting ready to get loaded. I spent six months crazy inside the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous early on. And at six months sober, I can't decide, should I drink and try to stay? Because I put everybody on notice I'm in recovery this day. I'm always like, I'm getting sober. You know, i got to put everybody on notice. So I'm like, I can't decide if I'm going to drink and stay and try to run game on everybody. And I know that's not going to work. Or if I should just drink and go away. Because I'm that uncomfortable without bourbon. In the solution of the 12 steps, I'm at that halfway point um, where I watch a lot of us stay forever. For years, you can stay there. And it's very unfortunate because it, it doesn't have to be that way. Um, so I show up one night at 10 o'clock at Julie's house, and I'm like, I'm, I'm losing it. And she can see it. She begins to take me through the work that night. It's 4 o'clock in the morning. We're on our knees doing a third step prayer. I was convinced. That my alcoholism was getting ready to kill me at that point. I was convinced. And I'm going to tell you something. I love willingness. I love to sponsor somebody with willingness, but give me desperation. It just sends chills all down my legs. And I used to listen to a guy at my group, JK, that would say that, give me desperation. You start sponsoring people with some desperation, it is a joy, an absolute joy to watch them light on fire. Right? So if we, we burn through these steps, and in a matter of less than a week probably, um, We've done my fifth step. I've done six and seven. I'm starting to make amends. Um, And I'm working from a place of, I don't ever want to live like this again, drunk or sober. You know, and I began to chase the solution. And I remember leaving her house one afternoon. We'd done some some sort of step work, I'm I'm sure. And I remember thinking to myself, "I I could do this forever. I could get excited about this way of life, really. Not just being in the meetings and saying hi and highlighting and playing the game like we do. I could get excited about living these steps and living these principles. Um, and my life began to change, and, and it's never been the same. I got to make so many amends. Um, I love there's a picture of Cliff over there. Um, I got to make amends to my family and watch that stuff come back together. I remember making amends to my grandfather. I mean, my grandfather's an amazing man. Amazing. Came from nothing. Um, and, and just so spiritually grounded, it's not even funny. Um, and he taught me so much, and, and I, I burned him up. You know, and I got sober. He sold that house, which I had turned into, it's like a brand-new neighborhood. Brand-new homes going up. Lots of families, lots of happiness. And then you know there's that one house. <laughs> Nobody ever mows the lawn. There's beer cans. Somebody's quick on this park sideways. And they're like, oh, God, I'm half naked out there smoking cigarettes. like, jeez. He's like, we're selling that house. You can live with your mother, which is a no-no, or you can come and live with me. And I lived with him. He put me through college. I mean, set me on a path to success, and I seized every opportunity that man has given me. I owe so much to him. It's not even funny. And I remember going to make amends to him, and I sat down. I'm like, Papa, I was wrong in the following ways. You know, part of what I'm doing in sobriety is that I'm setting straight some things that I've made wrong. And I listed that stuff out and told him where I was selfish and dishonest and inconsiderate and asked him that important question, what can I do to make this right with you? And I'm fully expecting the, uh, you keep doing what you're doing, sweet thing. Right? And he's like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's like, you can pay your bills on time. 
You can show up where you're supposed to be and show up on time. You can be the woman that God called you to be. I mean, he laid that out. I'm so mad. I'm like, I walk away with a resentment. But I'm going to tell you something. Every time I pay a bill, I say, I was like, yeah, my sponsor, you can keep organizing. Um, and, and every time that I do those things, I'm making amends to that man. Every time I am the woman that God calls me to be, I'm setting straight with my grandfather. What a cool thing. What an opportunity for me. Right? So I, I get to reassemble. Um, my stepfather asked me to stop taking the captioning off his TV. That's what he wanted me to do. <laughs> I mean, this is the man that has watched me come home from jail and then like burn out of a bar so loaded while the policemen are watching. I mean, I'm horrified. This normal person, you know, he's the only one in my family that's normal. I've horrified him, and he's like, I don't know, just stop taking the captioning off my TV. And I'm like, tears, you know, it's very dramatic. And I'm like, that's it, really? Okay. I know he wishes he had a do-over today. He's had time to think of it. So I, I got to set those things right, and Julie taught me how to live in 10, 11, and 12. Um, and the simplicity of what this looks like to do it consistently. Because when you're sitting in these chairs and somebody says, hey, I'm eight years sober, you're like, no way, no way. I couldn't even fathom that. I remember the guy that worked at the, the place I was, he was like, yeah, I'm 16 years sober. I'm like, buddy, I'm not going to make it 16 days. I can't even imagine. And do I want to be sober 16 years? No. I mean, my thought is, like, are we just going to start going to church picnics? Are we going to be playing bingo? I mean, God, what is life going to look like now that we're not going to be having any more fun? (laughs) My life was horrible, but I was like, oh, please don't take away the fun. I could not understand what it it would look like long term. I I just didn't know. And so Julie and Cliff taught me how to live these principles in step 10 and stay current. You know, the, the... Steps four through nine take care of the past. They set me straight with that. But then the question becomes, how do I live today without bourbon? How do I do that? What happens when I'm dishonest with somebody? Because I am. What happens when I'm inconsiderate of your feelings? Because I will be. Let's please don't give you the impression that just because you got clean and sober that you're going to walk on water. You won't. You won't. I remember early sobriety. I'm trying to get it right always. Just like I'm just trying to be perfect. I felt I had been so bad before that I had to be perfect. I remember I called Cliff on the phone one day and I'm like, I messed up. I did this. I said that. And he's like, Well, it's hell having to be human when you want to walk on water, isn't it? And I'm like, Gotta go, Cliff. <laughs> but it's true. And he, they taught me how to set things straight as I went. They taught me how to pray and meditate. And I wanted to do it like you did it. And I wanted to be as good as she was. And I wanted. And, and what's cool about step 11 is that you grow into a relationship with the power of God. And it looks very different on me than it's going to look on you. But there's some simple disciplines that we can do. But I'm going to tell you something. I, I'm having an absolute love affair with God. How cool is that? I heard a guy say that a couple years ago. And I was like, what? And when you grow into it, as you will, you see this is about a relationship with the power. Right? This is not about alcohol. This is not about dope. This is about how do I live without those things on a consistent basis and be happy. I don't think about those things anymore. Except when I'm at a facility and I'm talking to somebody about it. You know, how cool is that? How cool is that? And I get to work with a lot of women, you know, um, 
I get to work with some really phenomenal women. I got to give a birthday night at my group was, I guess, last weekend or week before last. I got to give a woman that I sponsor a two-year chip, and I got up and I said, I want to be like her. And it's true. This is an amazing person who, who lives this program, and I'm like, God, I want to be more like her. You know, but we all have these these character defects and these things that stand in our way. And the program will show you how to live with them in spite of yourself. You know, I didn't get perfect just because I got sober. And I tell you, my dad got sober about a year after I did. You know, and there was a point in time when this older gentleman on this wall back here, this crazy bald man, was trying to sponsor him long distance, and, and his wife was dying at the time. And he said, Audrey, I can't, I've done step one with your dad. I can't work with him on two and three. My wife is dying. I need you to go and work with him and do steps two and three with your dad. And I'm like, is that allowed? Like, <laughs> I got to get get alone with my father and take him through steps two and three. How precious is that? How precious, right? Yeah. It's the coolest thing. My stepsister um, is is newly clean again after having some bumps in the road. One of my other sisters two years clean. My mom picked up her thirty day chip this week. I'm like, everybody sit down. <laughs> Get you all situated. Everybody sit down. But it's a cool thing because I, I came on the scene with a family that was still off the chain. Except for my stepfather, who's like the only normal person. And he's like, what are we doing? All these crazy women. And it's like, oh, Ronald, I'm so sorry. <laughs>
the bad times bearable and the good times phenomenal. Here's what's even cooler. The 12 steps make the bad times bearable and the good times phenomenal. They just do. It's an absolute replacement and then some. So much more than you could ever expect. Um, well, getting to take another person through the steps and watching their life change, until you have that experience, you will never know. And I remember people saying that when I got sober, they're like, there's nothing like working with people. It's the bright spot of my day. And I thought, you're a loser. <laughs> you that you get to be a part of and you think it's going to make you arrogant and it doesn't that's what's cool is that you get to step back and go that's not about me i'm so small in the part of this right and when you do get arrogant god will smack you down it'll be like that little game at chunky e. cheese when your ego pops up and i'm just even smacking it left and right and if you have a good sponsor they'll assist you but i'm here to tell you that if you haven't really submitted to this, it won't work. It won't work. Um, you and I are people that live our lives in half measures. We always have. I'll submit just enough to get by and get my little thing stamped and then I'm out. And if you really want to be a part of this program, better go all in. Do it like you did when you were getting loaded. I pushed all my chips in the table. I threw away everything. I mean, think about it. What, would it, what did it look like for you to get your next whatever? You've thrown away everybody and everything, kicking over old ladies, trying to get get one more. And then all of a sudden we get sober and it's like, I don't know if I have time for that. Really? Go all in or go home. You're wasting your parents' time and money. Go all in or go home. If you want to go all in, we'll do anything to help you. It's the coolest ride ever. I appreciate you guys. Thanks so much.